The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. I hear the voice of my Redeemer. He's calling me to walk with Him. And when in life the load I bear is heavy, He gives me strength to rise again. By my side, giving me the courage, placing his peace into my soul. He says, I'm here to help you on that journey. The path we're on. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy. You who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Isaiah 54. Do not be afraid. You will not suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. 
Verse 6, the Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit, a wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment, I abandon you, but with deep compassion, I will bring you back. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. To me, this is like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. O Lord, as I share the word you've put on my heart, I wait for you. For Lord, you gave me these passages of scripture in the prayer closet unbidden, and said, this is now. This is for National Prayer Chapel. Lord, I thank you. And I ask now, Lord, that you would deal with the issues that you've, that you've caused me to cry out about. Would you have your way? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. The message the Lord has asked me to share with you tonight is entitled, Removing the Stumbling Blocks. Removing the Stumbling Blocks. Jesus had taken his disciples to a wicked and pagan place called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was the underground entrance into the regions of the demons. There was there a flowing water coming out of the rock, and carved in the rock were, were large places where they had positioned the goat gods. And there was a temple to the goat gods built that the water was flowing out of. And this being an agrarian culture, it was their belief that this was the very place that Baal, the god of rain and lightning and thunder, this was the very place where he would descend down into the earth and hide. And then through their ugly rituals, their wicked rituals, they would entice Baal in the spring to come forth, that he would bring the rains and he would bring a harvest, a crop, and they credited all of their produce to the, to the Baal god. And they came here to offer their sacrifices, their goat sacrifices, their pig sacrifices. This was where Jesus came to this very rock, facing this now. Jesus said to them, who do men say that I am? We find this story in the book of Matthew, 
the 16th chapter. They responded in verse 14. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Now, you need to understand the background of this whole issue is that they had hardness of heart. So they were now prepared to give theological confession from a hard heart. Read the prior verses and you'll see that they were filled with unbelief and hardness of heart. Hardness of heart never stops us from giving the correct theological answer. And the correct theological answer never cured a hard heart. It has to be something else. It has to be the Spirit of the living God. It has to be the Holy Ghost. Simon Peter answers, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. In other words, correct theology comes from the Father in heaven. That's why Paul would later say, Watch your doctrine carefully. So doctrine is not inconsequential. It's vital. But doctrine does not convert a heart. A correct theological answer does not reveal the inside of a man. So we can come with all the right answers and go to hell. We can teach people all the right answers and then have them come up the aisle and say a little prayer and confess the name of Jesus and say you're saved. You realize that's a very recent origin. Whitfield would never have allowed that to happen. Wesley would never have allowed that to happen. Their belief was that salvation was revealed by the fruit of the life of obedience, not by the cheap confession of theology by the mouth. So God tonight is not interested in whether we've got the correct theology down. He wants to know how we walk, not what we talk. Jesus said the the Pharisees went out and made disciples, crossed the seas to make disciples, and they were worse sons of hell than the Pharisees were. We have to be very careful in this day that we don't create sons of hell by telling them about Jesus. people who have the correct theology, who believe they're saved, but have no walk, have no testimony, have no faith, have just a heart of whining and complaining against God, have a heart of unbelief, have a heart that is totally given over to the lust of the world, but oh, they're Christians. I spoke to a pagan man this last week. I said, how's your employ and I named the employ. He said, Ray, I'm having a hard time with him. He always wants to talk about his faith, but he doesn't walk it. A pagan said that. 
This pagan knows the difference between the talk and the walk. How's your walk tonight? We need to talk about the stumbling blocks. I'll show you why. Jesus, hearing the correct theological answers that they're giving and knowing that this theology only comes from God, he decides to take them into a deeper place in his heart. He says, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to give you authority. Oh, there is nothing in the world more dangerous than to give a Christian some authority. But it's the heart of God to give us authority over darkness. But we get a hold of a little bit of theology. We say, now we've got the answer. Oh, we become dangerous to ourselves and other people. It's like putting a loaded gun in the hand of a child. Somebody's going to get killed. Jesus then begins to explain to his disciples that he has to go to Jerusalem and he has to suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He begins to tell them about his death, about his crucifixion. And then he tries to tell them about being raised from the dead in verse 21. And Peter, listening to all of this, says, Hey, Jesus, come here. Come here. Come here. Well, you know you're in trouble when somebody does that to you. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall not happen to you. Jesus turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. The man who had the correct theological answer could not be trusted with the authority of God because he had no Holy Spirit power yet. There is nothing more dangerous than a Christian who has a bag full of tricks with his theology and his tracks to go out now and he's going to tell people about Jesus. And he has no Holy Spirit power. He becomes a stumbling block to Jesus. A stumbling block. Look, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. I began to pray about this. I began to say, Lord, what are the stumbling blocks? What are the stumbling blocks in my life? And and how do I become a stumbling block to you, Jesus? If there's anything I don't want to be, I don't want to be a stumbling block to Jesus. I don't want to be a stumbling block to Jesus or to any of his people. I don't want to be a stumbling block to the church. I don't want to be a stumbling block to my brothers and to my sisters, to my family, to my children and my grandchildren. I don't want to be a stumbling block. What would make me a stumbling block? Well, the Holy Spirit immediately began to deal with me. 
He began to show me a stumbling block. I've tried hard to walk in the way of the cross. I've walked under discipline. Some of it has been God's discipline, and some of it's been my discipline. And slowly out of that walk, I began to hear things from other people. I began to hear things from my own heart. Things like this. Ray, you're really not as bad as you're saying. You know, you need to just ease up and get a life. You know, you've, you've walked righteous before God. Now just rest. Just relax. Trust God. When He sends His Holy Spirit, then things will be different. But right now, what you need to do is just back off and chill a little bit. I can't tell you how many people have told me to chill. Especially recently. You know, you're, you're just over the edge, Ray. Well, the Lord began to speak to me about this. He said, I was looking at my sin. I was looking at my life from my perspective. And so my sin didn't seem quite so bad. I looked at how far I'd come. I looked at the little bit I had let yet to do. I said, okay, I can nine-tenths there. I can relax here a little bit. Everybody's telling me to relax. They can't be wrong. I'm tired. This has been a battle. I just... Come on, let's have a little normalcy here. Take the kids and have some fun. What I saw was that I was looking at my life through human achievement. I was looking at it from my perspective. I was seeing my sin from my perspective. I need to see my life from God's perspective. I need to see my sin as God sees my sin. Because the truth is, I've never really been hard on myself. I've always cut myself slack. Now, it may have looked like I was being hard on myself, but that's only because you only make progress if you look like you're being hard on yourself. But the truth is, I've never been hard on myself. I would suggest that none of you have been hard on yourselves. That you know how to make it look like you're being really tough on you. But the truth is, we need to see our life from God's perspective. And that only happens by the power of the Holy Ghost. That happens as we begin to have the power of God fall on our lives. 
So what would keep God's power from falling on our lives? What would keep God's presence from coming in this house tonight? Well, I'll tell you the answer I was always given. The answer I've always been given is, it's not the season for God to bring revival. That's why revival has not come. I've been told, Ray, you don't understand. Revival is something God does, and he does it when he wants to do it, and we don't understand when he's going to do it or why he's going to do it. It's just something God does sovereignly. Well, I kind of settled into that for a while and said, okay, if revival is something God does and I don't do, God, whenever you're ready, I'm ready. In the meantime, let's get on with life. And obviously, that's a death trap. So what is the answer? The answer is that Revival is always just flowing underneath the surface. God has never withdrawn revival. The question is, will we step into that revival? Will we step into that revival? How do we step into that revival? By coming clean with the sins the Holy Spirit exposes in our lives. By confessing them. By confessing our sins. By confessing our lying, our cheating. By confessing our hardness of heart. And the Lord has had me in His presence just crying out to him specific things, specific sins. Now, I've read extensively through the years about revival. There is a pattern that, that true revival always follows. There is confession of sin. There is God dealing with that sin. There is allowing him to come in and deal with it. There is no longer turning our heart away and resisting, but confessing that sin, allowing him to break us. The old timers called it breaking. The Welsh revival, they called it bending. All that meant was, we're no longer willing to hide our sin from each other. We begin to confess our sin. We begin to confess honestly our sin with nothing being hidden and nothing being held. We just simply confess our sin. Now, one of the manifestations that happens often in this kind of situation is shaking. It happened in the Welsh Revival. It happened with Wesley. It happened with Whitfield. It happened with Finney. And always the shaking in the old revivals was a sign that this person was finally coming under severe conviction of sin. 
and they were holding back on confessing. And the more they held back on confessing, the more they shook. And then modern revivals came, like the Toronto Blessing, which was in fact a Toronto curse. I went to the Toronto vineyard, the airport vineyard. I watched. I saw men and women all over shaking, trembling. But they were told, this is a sign that the Holy Spirit is pleased with you. And they were told, you need to lay down on the carpet and have soaking time. And just soak in the love of the Holy Spirit. There was no confession of sin. And, and then there was great laughter. And so it began to be called the laughing revival. Well, what it was, was the Holy Spirit coming and trying to break, trying to bend, trying to bring conviction of sin. And it was turned into laughter. And so the whole revival was aborted. And it was used by the devil to deceive many, many people. Because there was no confession of sin. All that was spoken of by John Arnott was, God loves you. God has unconditional love for you. And so they would come and they would pray with a person as they did with me. Laid hands on me and prayed for me and said, receive God's love. Receive God's love. Lord, pour more love into him. Well, the old time revivalists prayed quite differently. They prayed, increase the conviction of sin and make them come clean. Make them confess their sin. Make them see your holiness. Increase the terror of your spirit upon them. See, this is a very different direction than the modern church would desire to go. So I ask you tonight, do you have a stumbling block in your life? Is the stumbling block that you're looking at your own life through your own eyes and through your own judgment and you look pretty good? Or are you seeing your life the way God sees it? Are you seeing the sin of your life? Is he breaking you? Is he calling you into the deep water? As he calls, are you resisting his urge to repent? Are you pushing him away and saying, no, that can't be God. That can't be God. That can't be God. That would embarrass me. They would think less of me. I would seem foolish in their eyes. You're a stumbling block to Jesus. You're a stumbling block to Jesus. If you want to enter into the heart of Jesus tonight, you're going to have to confess your sins.
to the Lord Jesus. You're going to have to cry aloud to him. You're going to have to weep before him. There is no such thing as dry-eyed confession of sin. If there is dry-eyed confession of sin, it's because you don't see yet your sin the way God sees it. You only see it through your human flesh eyes. When you begin to see your sin as God sees it, you will be broken. We will be broken. This church will be broken. Oh, it's so easy to say, I'm sorry. I won't do that again till the next time. And in fact, all we're trying to do is cut ourselves some slack, get ourselves some space. Hey, lighten up on me. I'm doing my best. Cut me a little bit slack here. Look at the progress I've already made. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Stumbling blocks before the Lord that block his presence in our hearts and lives and block his presence in this fellowship. We gather to pray. I know what holds us back. Sin. Sin holds us back. When we come into this fellowship to sing praises to God, there is not explosive joy. I know what causes that lack of explosive joy. It's sin not dealt with. Unconfessed, unconscious even, because we haven't seen our sin as God sees it. So the pattern of revival is heartbroken confession of sin before God. And then comes a victory time. Joyous. Some of the old timers, they say people just get explosive and dance and shout. They praise God. They can't be contained. They're, they're contagious in their explosive joy because they've got the victory. Then the third stage is back on their faces weeping even shaking, weeping for the lost and the dying, for the unconverted, for the family members, for the other church members who are holding back. And then comes the explosive joy and the resting in Jesus as they see that hard-hearted one bent by the Holy Spirit, convicted of sin. And they see them trembling on their face before God. And the process starts all over again. Now, this is what I've heard as I've been in my prayer closet. The Lord has actually let me hear with my ears the weeping of people struggling with their sins, coming through, finally into victory. This is the work of the Holy Ghost. Now, 
what we need is to begin to cry out to the Lord that he will send this work of the Holy Spirit among us. That he would bring to us the courage to begin to confess our sins and to get clean before him. Now, part of what's been happening in this fellowship, for which I praise the name of Jesus, is that many of us in this fellowship have been dealing with our sins. Oh, it's taken us years, months, as every day we've struggled in the prayer closet. We've gained victories and victories. We're not going to have that explosive joy because we've come out of the fire over a long period of time. And so some of you in this house tonight are clean before God. Some of you have done the work in the Spirit. I praise God for that work. But many of you have not yet completed that work. I confess, I've not completed that work. There's still an emptiness in my soul. There's still a lack of power in my soul in praying for the lost. There's still an inability to pray and agonize with God and immediately see God bring forth the victory in salvation for that lost soul. If you have that power tonight, then I praise God for your victory in the Holy Spirit. If you don't have that power, then you have sin you're holding on to before God. And that sin will take you to hell. And we've got to see that sin from God's perspective. We've got to see that sin as God sees that sin. Otherwise, we'll have no unction to deal with it. We are so comfortable in our sin. We are so comfortable in our wickedness. Oh, we baptize it. We've got the right theology. We think we've got the answers and we're making progress. It doesn't count. It doesn't count. All that counts is what Jesus sees. It doesn't matter what Pastor Ray sees when he looks at your life. It matters what Jesus sees when he looks at your life. If he sees you casually going about life, and then you'll have an interest over here to read the Bible, and maybe a couple hours a day, but you still are just in charge, and you're going about your life, and you're doing your life, and there's no disruption to it. You're not seeing your life as Jesus sees it. The Lord God of heaven knows that he's about to end earth's history. Those things that we so eagerly desire are soon going to burn. Those things that seem so precious to our hearts now will soon be cast aside because they'll have no value for us. They'll have no comfort to our souls. So what's the condition of your heart tonight? Do you see your heart as Jesus sees it? Have you wept before God? 
Or are there still large unexplored areas in your life where you have not allowed the light of Jesus to shine in? You've not let the glory of Jesus into that part of your heart because you know what's there. It's buried deep and it shapes the very essence of who you are. And Jesus is saying, I have to be in. I have to have access. I have to shine the light of glory in that place. How is your heart? Have you become satisfied in your progress in the spiritual life? Has it become a discipline for you? As some would do yoga, you do Christianity. Is that what it is? Or do you see your life as Jesus sees it? Do you see the sin? Are you offended by what is there? When will you begin to confess this? When will you come clean? When will you stop the charade and the game? When will you stop hiding behind correct theology and the disciplines? And will you get clean before God? Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That denying of oneself is the denial of the right or the privilege to sin against God. to deny myself the privilege of fellowship with the world, to deny myself the right to keep a part of my life for myself in the darkness, away from the light of God's glory. My son is mine. My daughter is mine. My life is mine. I won't submit. I'll maintain my own independence. This is a stumbling block before Jesus. And if we begin to see this as Jesus sees it, we begin to see that it's rebellion of the highest order against Jesus Christ. And he will say to us, Get thee behind me, Satan. Take up his cross. The way we take up our cross is we confess our sin. Explicit, in detail. It does no good to get down on our knees and say, Lord, forgive me for my sins. That bounces off the ceiling and rolls out in the dust. Sin is always specific. There are no general sins. Sin is always an offense against a person, Jesus Christ. When I choose to block Jesus from my heart and I 
set up a barrier and I say, this will be my realm. And Jesus, you may have that area over there. I have tried to become roommates with God. God will not be a roommate with me. He's looking for a bride. One flesh. Total union. Total oneness. No separation. To go to the cross literally means to see my sin as God sees it and to confess it and to turn from it. To utterly and completely and totally die out to that sin with no longer any strings attached, no longer pulling it along with me like having cords on a wagon. Some of you tonight, you have your sins strung out behind you, attached with cords, so that if somebody gets close, you can drop the cord and nobody will see the sin. But you know you can go back and pick that cord up and you can keep walking and you're pulling that sin behind you. Don't burn the bridge, the devil says. The Lord's calling for some burning of bridges. One family, the husband made the decision. The television is going out of our house. He called me this last week. His wife said, okay, I agree with you. Let's get rid of the television. But we have some family coming this fall. So let's save the television so the family will be able to enjoy a little bit of the television. And this husband had the courage to say, you mean we, we want our family to come into our house to feed on the poison of the world? And she said, oh, I see what you mean. All right, let's get rid of it. And so they have moved it out of the house. Now you understand... That's burning the bridge. If, if they'd left it there, they would have said, okay, it's for, it's for our family when they come. They would have still had it connected to their hip. They had to get rid of it. There are much more subtle sins. Like the sin of depression. Depression is merely anger turned inward. It's because I didn't have my way. I couldn't have what I wanted, and so I'm depressed. I'm not allowed to get angry. So I'll turn my anger in on myself, and I'll just be down on me. So for a person now to confess this depression means they have to burn the bridge with this depression. It means going right to the root of this thing and saying, I really do want my way. And Lord, I give up my way. If they will give up their way, depression will be gone. 
it will leave. All of our sins are connected by spider webs, one to the next. And we have to recognize them and name them and take them before the throne of God. Get on that cross and say, okay, let's cut this thing out. Let's deal with this. Let's be done with this. Let's not go back this way again. Let's be free. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. In other words, whoever wants to save his space, who wants to stay connected to his sin, who will not confess it, that person, Jesus is saying, is going to lose his life. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. Whoever is willing to give it up, Jesus is saying they're going to find the life. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? soul, it means personality. It means who I am. It means the essence of who I am, the way I feel, the way I think. What's it, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet he, he forfeits who he is in Christ? Or what can a man gain in exchange for his soul? And I ask you tonight, what is your soul worth? Jesus said your soul was worth his life on Calvary's tree. God's already put his vote in on what your worth is. Now you have to decide what is your worth. What is your worth? Are you worth enough to let the glory of Jesus penetrate every part of your life? and allow the breaking power of his blood to wash and cleanse you and make you into a new creature in Christ. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done, not according to what each has said. It's not what you say. It's whether you take up your cross and follow Jesus. If you confess your sin and you forsake it and you leave it, you turn from it, and by the power of the blood, that thing is broken. The power of it is broken. It no longer waves to you and says, come here, come here, come here. It no longer has the power to tempt you because the blood of Jesus has broken it. You've released it and now you're washed and you're clean. Are you clean tonight? Are your sins washed away? Are you spending your time agonizing for the lost and the dying? Are you having the victory? We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need to begin to confess our sins. to Jesus, to one another. We need to get clean with God. I ask you, 
Let the Spirit of God search your heart tonight. Let the Spirit of God search your heart tonight. Oh Lord, as we close this time, search my heart. Search my heart. Give me the courage to confess my sin. You did not call us here to be great in the eyes of the world. Lord, you called us here to take up our cross and to follow you. You called us here for the salvation of the lost and the dying. Lord, I ask you tonight, bring us through. Bring us through, Jesus. Bend us, break us, convict us. Lord, start with me. The cross upon which Jesus died Is a shelter in which we can hide And His grace so free Is sufficient for me And deep is the fountain That's wide as the There's room at the cross for you Yes, there's room at the cross for you Though millions have come There's still room for one Yes, there's room at the cross for you Though millions have found him a friend And have turned from their old life of sin Still the Savior awaits To open the gates To welcome the lost Before it's too There's room at the cross for you Yes, there's room at the cross for you Though millions have come There's still room for one Yes, there's room at the cross for you There's room at the cross for you Yes, there's room at the cross
There's still room for one Yes, there's room At the cross for you There's room at the cross Room at the Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress is brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel, and we'd love to hear from you. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, P.O. Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Also, visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to Present you blameless before the presence of his glory.